Anybody have frost on their windshield this morning? Most of you didn't get up early enough. You know what comes after the frost on your windshield, right? Yeah. Somebody in first service yelled out spring. <laughs> that's, that's faith, calling those things which be not as though they were. Get to Matthew 5 this morning. Get right in the middle. And we're going to continue our Beatitudes. I hope these Beatitudes are fixing our bad attitudes. <laughs> when Jesus tweaks your thinking, it's always for the better. In just a minute here, I'm going to read the Beatitudes to you again, as I do every week. This week, our target verse is verse 8. Listen for it. It's where we'll be spending our time together this morning. Father, I thank you for this place where we can come and worship you. I thank you for the worship this morning and the offering that we brought to you. I pray it was acceptable and pleasing to you, Father. Holy Spirit, continue to open our hearts and minds, Lord, as worship prepares us to take in the Word. Holy Spirit, drive the Word deep into our hearts today. Father, help us to get something from you, from your heart, for each one of us before we leave this place. I ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened up his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy in our target verse. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, our target verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, the more we read God's word, the more we understand what God's word says about the heart, the more it would seem to be an impossibility for us to have a pure heart. The Bible doesn't say that the heart of man is pure. We know that. I'm going to look at a couple of scriptures in a minute here. Now this is, you know, the scripture is not trying to make us feel bad about ourselves because, you know, God loves us and he sent Jesus to die for us to save us. Amen. But the scripture is trying to show us reality. Sometimes reality is not what we hoped it to be and a little unpleasant. Did you ever think you looked one way and then you saw a photograph of yourself? Come on. I mean, like some reality. In your head, you know, you're still 20. You're looking svelte. You can see the tips of your shoes. <laughs> but the mirror doesn't lie and the camera doesn't lie. And sometimes reality is a little brutal. Say amen. amen. You know, people say things about the heart of man. The world has its own view. People say things like, God knows my heart. Have you ever heard that before? And that's why he sent Jesus to die, because he knows my heart. <laughs> Some people say, you know, they have a good heart. And really, is that true? Most of the time, our heart is thinking about just ourselves. Even in what we consider to be good thoughts, they're self-centered. <laughs> people say things like, you know, my heart was in the right place. Yeah, for like six seconds. <laughs> or have you heard this one before? Bless your heart. That's what they say down south. That means you are dumb as a box of rocks. 
and you just don't know it. Oh, bless your heart. Mom, I'm just telling the truth on Sunday. So whether we say, you know, God knows my heart, I have a good heart, my heart was in the right place, or bless your heart, whatever it is, the human heart, the word is pretty clear about the condition that it's in. Don't take my word for it. Let's listen, listen to three scriptures. Genesis 6, 5, talking about the, the Noah generation. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Listen, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Ouch. His heart was evil continually, and that was the only focus it had, to think about evil, to dwell on evil, to implement evil, to dream up ways to enjoy evil. And that was this condition that Noah's generation was, and we know what the remedy for was that was the flood, that God purified the earth by flood. The Bible says when it's like the days of Noah, in the last days, that's when the return of Jesus will come. So, you know, we're coming full circle in that. The human heart, the thoughts and intents of it were only evil continually, not a break from it. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. What's the most deceitful thing? The heart. And it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Wow. There again, God speaking through the prophet, giving commentary on the condition of the human heart. The heart is deceitful. Have you ever had your heart trick you? Did your heart ever say, oh, you, you need this, or you want this, or you've got to have this only to get it, and it doesn't satisfy you? Did, maybe in a romantic relationship, your heart was like, oh, this is the one, only to find out three restraining orders later, this was not the one. But we've all been fooled by our hearts, man. In dating, you get fooled by your heart a lot. You know, thank God that God didn't answer my prayers and gave me the wife that I have. Because who knows what I would have settled for. But he gave me the perfect wife. Because my heart will trick me. My heart will deceive me. And look what it says here. It's deceitful. Okay, we get that. It's desperately wicked. Ouch. It doesn't sound like, you know, all dogs go to heaven right there. Desperately wicked. That, that's my heart. It's always, you know, Jesus is going to say some things about the heart that are totally going to blow our mind. This part of Jeremiah really gets me. It says, who can know it? So we think, you know, oh, I, I know what's in my heart, or I know what my heart's desire, I know what's good for me, my, I'm just following my heart. People say, follow your heart, just follow your heart, right off the cliff in life. <laughs> right in, I mean, you can't follow your heart. It, it's, it's deceitful, it's desperately wicked, and who could know it? That's why David went to the Lord and said, search me and know me and try me, see if there's any wicked way in me. What was David saying? He's like, Lord, I can't even discern my heart. I don't know if these desires are right. I don't know if my heart's right. You tell me, God. And that's a good thing to be like David to say, just bring our hearts before the Lord and say, God, give me the right heart. Because I'm too easily deceived by my own emotions. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 15, starting in verse 17. He says, you do, do you not understand everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? That's, you know, basic biology. Thank you, Jesus. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, and slander. Jesus saying that. The human heart has trouble. The human heart 
needs to be redeemed. The human heart will deceive us. It's desperately wicked. Its intentions are questionable continually. Out of it come all of these sinful things that we see that plague our society. Yet somehow, some way, Jesus says to us, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now in our text, Jesus alludes to the fact that there's a purity that comes in the heart that leads to the incredible blessing of God revealing himself to us. When our hearts are right, we're going to see God. When our hearts are pure, we're going to see. What is that? That's the revelation of God to us to reveal himself so that we have intimacy. They will see God. I want to encourage you today. Those of us who are born again, who belong to Jesus Christ, someday with our own eyes, we are going to see the Lord face to face. Come on. If you're not clapping, I hope you got to wait in line for a million years before you get to see him. Back of the line. But, you know, if it weren't possible for, have, for us to have some degree of purity in our hearts, Jesus would have never said it. Jesus is not just like dangling a carrot. You know, oh, you know, if your heart's pure, you're going to see God, but you're never going to get there because you know what the Bible says about the human heart, so good luck with that. Right. No, he would have never said that if it wasn't possible. So the million-dollar question becomes, how does my heart get pure enough in God's sight that it would provoke him to reveal himself to me? What is God looking for in the heart? Not what the world's looking for, not what we're looking for. What's God looking for so he can reveal himself to us? Now, the, the text says, blessed are the pure in heart. And there again, focusing on that pivotal word, pure, it is the Greek word, katharos, and it means clean, clear, and pure. So when it says, blessed are those whose hearts are clean, clear, and pure, they will see God. Doesn't that sound like a good glass of water? Clean, yeah, right? clear, and pure. Yeah. That, that word katharos is closely related to the word katharismos. And katharismos means to wash or purify. So the implication is here by the Greek rendering of the word that if we want our hearts to be pure, they have got to be washed and purified. It's not pure to start out with, but have you ever seen like, you could take some of these water filters and pour a muddy glass of water through them and what comes out the bottom, they bottle and sell you for $1.29. <laughs> Suckers. So, katharos, clean, clear, and pure. Katharismos, to wash or purify. Here's what the text is suggesting to us. Our hearts can be made pure if we allow God to wash them. God has got to wash our hearts yes. before it can be pure. Now, I want to look at three things that will wash our hearts and make them pure. And the first one is this. If we want our hearts washed and we want them pure so we can see God, so we can enjoy the blessing of this beatitude, the first thing that purifies the heart of man is this, a genuine salvation experience. I hope you take your notes today. I can't remember all this. I got my notes here and they're all color-coded and they got all kinds of stuff on them. So it shows you what I'm working with here. You know, that genuine salvation experience is the pivotal, uh, the pivotal step to having our hearts washed by God. Now, notice I said genuine. There are many, the Bible says many will cry, Lord, Lord, but Jesus said, I never knew you. Uh, the Bible doesn't say you have to have a religious experience. There are so many people who are religious. They go to church. They sit in a church. You know, they, 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 they pay their time. They walk out, but they're religious and lost. Maybe some of us have came from systems like that where, you know, we knew about Jesus. We heard 
about Jesus, but we didn't know Jesus. I grew up hearing about Jesus and and knowing about Jesus, but until I met him and realized I was a sinner that needed a savior, until I bowed the knee and asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life, I never knew him. I didn't have a relationship with him. And from the moment I did have a relationship with him till this present moment, my life has forever been changed and I'm so sure is yours too. That's our testimony today, that a genuine salvation experience changes our hearts. Now, God has always wanted to change the hearts of his people. The prophet Ezekiel said this to the children of Israel in Ezekiel eleven nineteen: 19. I will give them one heart, unity, and I will put a new spirit in them, and I will take the heart of stone out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Wow. Man, if that doesn't touch you and get you excited, you need some Holy Ghost jumper cables. A new heart. Take that stony heart out of Rick, that hard heart, that self-righteous heart, that ungrateful heart, to take that stony heart out and put a tender heart in once again. You know, the longer we live, sometimes we get hard and we we can get, you know, kind of old and crusty and musty. Don't raise your hand. I'll just raise my hand. But, you know, we need that heart recircumcised, the scripture says, again and again. Why? So we remain tender. God has always wanted to change the hearts of his people. God has always looked for people who had a heart after his. 1 Samuel 13, uh, Saul and, and the prophet Samuel talking to Saul, he says this, Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly and you have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. Wow. So we spent a lot of time in 1 Samuel. We know all about Saul. We know all about David. Saul just would not listen to God. Eventually, he so frustrated God, God cut him off and passed him over. And what does the text say? God was looking for someone who had a heart after his own. He found David, and David, not a perfect guy. We're going to see that, you know, David did a lot of stuff that's super questionable. David did a lot of stuff I hope I never do. And the thing is, God said, he's a man after my own heart. There's something different here that God sees that we don't see. And God is looking for people who have a heart after his. In the Old Testament, all the negative issues associated with the human heart were exasperated by the fact that sin had total dominion over man. The cross had not come yet, so sin had dominion over man. So the blood of animals could temporarily cover sin through the sacrificial system, but they could never change the heart of the sinner. Are you getting this? Enter the New Testament. Jesus dies on the cross, and through a genuine salvation experience, the heart of the sinner can be transformed. Jesus' blood didn't just temporarily cover sin. It broke the power and dominion over over our lives so that we could be changed. So no longer am I just a sinner who's covered by the blood of animals. I'm a sinner who's redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and now I'm a saint of God. Come on. (laughs) what an awesome thing I don't have to try I don't have to strive I don't have to try and be good enough I don't have to try and be a little better than everybody else you notice people who are in religion they think all I got to do is be a little better than the next guy if I'm at the top you know 10 percentile of sinners I'm going to squeeze in you know it's kind of like being attacked by a bear and you shoot the guy in the leg behind you and you think I you know he's slower than me he gets eaten not feeling that one 
So there's something really powerful for us to look at here when it comes to the New Testament salvation experience. It's really the thing that washes our hearts at the entry level. Jesus' blood does something that's incredible. 2 Corinthians 5.17 shows us when we surrender to Christ, we become brand new. I mean, if you're over 20, the idea of anything on you being brand new is a good thought. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, new things have come. Now all things are made from God who reconciled himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what happens? We come to Jesus. He takes that old sinner. He washes him in the blood. He makes him a new creation. Everything becomes new. Part of being a new creation means getting a new heart. Now, whether we realize it or not, when we came to Christ, our hearts changed. And if they didn't, then we need to have a genuine salvation experience. But our heart changes. Why? Because we don't want to sin anymore. We don't want to do the the wickedness that we we used to do. We don't want to be in the club. We don't want to be in the street. We want to be in God's house. We don't want to... We don't want to give ourselves over to sin. We want to give ourselves over to Christ. The Bible says that our hearts change where we have a love for one another. Jesus said, you'll know my disciples by their love for one another. Suddenly, when you come to Christ, your heart changes. People you would never have talked to before. People you would have punched in the nose. Now, all of a sudden, you call them brother and you call them sister. What is that? A heart transformation. A new creation. A transformation of the heart that comes through salvation. What a beautiful thing it is to be new. Again, Ezekiel the prophet foretold uh, of what this would happen to God's people when the cross was endured by Christ. Look what Ezekiel says. He says, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. Look at that. And I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So, you know, there again, when he talks about a new spirit, that, that was said in the Old Testament, but it's a New Testament thing. We're filled with the spirit. We're new creations. Our hearts have changed. And now our hearts are washed by the blood of the lamb through a genuine salvation experience. It's the first step. Number two, not only does that salvation experience wash our hearts, but this is the second thing that does, a willingness to carry our cross. Now, the salvation point was really fun because no, nobody who's lost minds being found. It's quiet this morning. But this cross-carrying stuff, that sounds like work. And a lot of Christians will accept Jesus is Savior and will enjoy forgiveness of sin, but they balk at cross-carrying. Why? Because that requires uh, the death of the old nature. That requires some uh, spiritual labor. Now, it doesn't save us, but it is an indication that we love Jesus. Why? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let's take a look at cross-carrying here. We're commanded by Jesus to carry the cross in Matthew 10. Notice I chose that word carefully. Jesus gave us a command to do it, not a suggestion. (laughs) You know, God didn't give us the 10 suggestions. He gave us the 10 commandments. The world treats them like they're optional or, you know, you can pick and choose cafeteria style, which ones you like, you know, but it's a commandment. And you know what? Our flesh doesn't like being commanded. So even when I say command, I watch people, they're like, ah. Yeah, I'm melting, right? A willingness to carry the cross will wash our hearts and make them clean. Jesus commanded us to carry the cross. He said, he that loves 
father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follows after me is not worthy of me. He that finds his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Did you key in onto that? Jesus is saying, it's not optional. Cross carrying is not, you know, just for the really committed Christians. It is part of discipleship that each of us must carry our cross. Now, the good news is you don't have to carry my cross and I don't have to carry yours. My cross and your cross were custom built for us. My cross is designed to work everything out of Rick that needs to get out. And Kim is very grateful for it. And your cross is designed to do the same thing. That's why we've got to carry our own. But there's no discipleship without cross-bearing. And there's no purification of the heart without cross-bearing. It's something that all of us have to do. As a believer, I found it's really hard to carry my cross and maintain a wrong heart at the same time. To, me, to be like, you know, well, you know, I'm carrying my cross here, but I'm just really filled with anger. I'm, I'm carrying my cross. I'm really judgmental. Do you remember that guy? Some of you who are older might remember Arthur Blessett, who used to carry a cross. He literally carried a cross around the world. And when he did, people would flock to him. That cross would gather a crowd, and he would give them the gospel. And thousands of people were saved through his ministry. Yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen this guy, you know, Google him or whatever. Talk to Siri about it, and you'll find out. You, he had a cross on his shoulder. He put a little wheel on the back so he didn't drag the cross. But he carried this cross everywhere. And people were saved. Now, that's a, a literal expression of what we're supposed to do on a spiritual level. When you and I carry the cross, we can't be angry. We can't be jealous or judgmental. We can't be full of pride. We can't carry that cross and have it on our shoulder and feel it upon us and, and be filled with lust or indifference towards others. The great Scottish preacher Chalmers, after having been, as it were, reconverted in the middle of his ministry, turned away from preaching mere morality and began to preach redemption through the cross. He confessed that all his former sermons about man's moral duty did not exert one feather's weight of influence upon the conduct of his sheep. It was only when he brought them by his preaching near to the cross that he was able to see radical changes in their lives. You see, guilting people and browbeating people and Bible-thumping people do doesn't make them want to change. But when we view the cross, it melts our hearts, it washes them clean, and it makes us embrace the Jesus who endured the cross. And that's when things change. Oh, preach on morality, it's rules, it's regulations, it's religion. None of that changes men. It drives them away from God. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you make it difficult for people to get saved. You drive them away from God. That's what religion does. But relationship leads us near to the cross. And boy, does it change our hearts. It washes them. It purifies them. Cross-bearing is guaranteed to change our hearts. And, I, and I'll tell you five reasons why. Number one, the weight of the cross humbles us with every step. There's something about carrying a burden that humbles you. You know, my son, the lockers at school these days don't fit the books in. And my sons used to carry all their books around with them in a backpack that weighed roughly the same weight as them. And, you know, that burden on them all day long, when they would get home now, if you've ever seen my driveway, it's a few shades under Mount Everest. And nobody wants to walk up with it with that burden. When you have a burden on your back, every step reminds you of that burden. 
When you carry the cross, every step reminds you of the burden and it humbles you. So cross-bearing will, listen, there's too many of us who are too unencumbered to be humbled and it's why our hearts aren't changed. Number two, the symbol of the cross differentiates us from the world around us. When people wear a cross and Arthur Blessed carried the cross, that cross stands out. It catches people's attention. A Christian should be different from the world around him. The Bible says, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. That's what we're not supposed to be of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of it. The cross is the thing that differentiates us from the world. Is there enough of the cross in my life to show the people around me that I'm different? Wow. The cross will purify your heart because it'll humble you and it'll, it'll differentiate you from the world. Also, the shame of the cross will remind us of the costliness of sin. You know, the cross was a shameful way to die. They only executed the worst of criminals by crucifixion. It was a, a total sh shame to nail Jesus to a cross. Rome was looking to make an example out of him through humiliation. And I want you to see that, that the, the crucifixion comes with great shame. And understand that when we look at the shame of the cross, it reminds us sin was not cheap to pay for. My sin, your sin was not cheap. Jesus gave every drop of his blood. He hung between heaven and earth and he hung there and he paid the price for my sin. I'm so grateful for that. I need to be reminded of that. I need to never forget that. You know, when we watch a movie like The Passion of Christ, such an anointing on that thing, that when you see it, you're reminded of the cost of our sin, the brutality of what Jesus went through. Oh, our hearts get so hard. I can feel some of this bouncing back on me because we don't want to go there. We don't want to think about the cost of our sin. We don't want to carry our cross because it, it makes us have to repent of our wickedness. It makes us have to repent of our waywardness. God help us. The perspective of the cross gives us a burden for the lost. That cross wasn't just to save me and you. God bless us for no more. Hallelujah. That cross was to save every sinner that's out there, every soul stumbling in the darkness, every person disconnected from the Father. That cross reminds us that not only should we be concerned about the condition and the trajectory of our own souls, but we must care about the lost. Yes. Yes. When we don't carry the cross, we don't care about the lost. We care about comforting ourselves and pleasuring ourselves and what's next. God help us to carry the cross. Number five, the presence of the cross identifies us with the one who bore it for us. We are Christians, little Christs. We are to be like him, transformed by the renewing of our mind, different than we were, changed with a heart that's been purified through a genuine salvation experience. We experience salvation, it washes our hearts. We experience cross-carrying, it washes our hearts. And number three, the last thing I want to talk about today that washes the heart of man so it can be pure in God's sight is this, a thorough immersion in God's word. I think most of us can agree that no matter how much we read the word, we could always use more of it. I think most of us could agree that when we spend extended moments in the word, did you ever just spend time in the word for an extended period and get so much out of it that you wonder, why don't I do more of this? 
Have you ever felt that in your spirit? Man, it's like drinking, you know, it's like drinking something that's just so sweet to the taste. You know, I could probably drink a gallon of chocolate milk. Yeah, I'll lay on the floor and hold my belly afterwards, but it's just so good. And that's the way the word is. It tastes so good. It's so sweet. It fills you so that we wonder when we, when we don't spend time, then we do. We're like, oh, I should do this more often. I know all of us have felt that at one moment or another. And I want to say this. Nothing washes or purifies the heart of man more completely than the word of God. Do you want your heart washed? Wash it with this. Uh, pour this over and it will cleanse, it will purify, it will wash the heart of man. Now, I want you to understand something. Uh, there's an illustration about the washing of the heart that, you know, has to do with tea. How many people like to drink tea? Yeah, some people do, right? Most of us like coffee, but tea is an interesting drink. And here's the thing about tea that I want you to get. The difference between a strong cup of tea and a weak cup of tea is that, you know, they both have the exact same ingredients, water and tea leaves, but the difference is this. The strong cup of tea, the, the leaves were immersed in the water longer, giving the water more time to get into the tea and more time for the tea to get into the water. The longer the immersion process takes place, the stronger the cup of tea. You know, if you make a cup of tea, you gotta steep that tea bag. You gotta drown it in the water. Now I like strong stuff, so I'll take two tea bags and I'll take a spoon and drown them in the water. So that tea is so thick you can blow bubbles with it, man. I want some, because good stuff comes out of that bag. The taste and the leaves and the caffeine, some would say hallelujah. And now I can face another day in Jesus' name. But if you just take your tea bag and you're like, Boop. that's hot water. You got to drown that thing, right? You got to immerse the tea. And so that, in the same way, when you and I spend more time and extended periods of time and, and a lot, large amounts of time in the water, it's like it's steeping our soul that the word of God is, is penetrating the outer man and the flesh and it's getting in there and it's transforming and washing the heart. <laughs> Spend a lot of time in God's word, and I guarantee it'll change you. It'll wash you. Some of you are slow. Come on. Going to swerve off the road on the way home. Now I got it. Taking huge doses of the God, God's word will purify our heart. Let it wash our minds and our hearts and it will change us. It'll change our thoughts and it'll change our motives. It'll change our actions and our desires. You know, some of us don't even realize it because God does it so efficiently and so uh, through a long process. But the things we thought when we got saved, we, are, we think so much differently now. And so think back to before you knew Jesus, the stuff that you thought you thought was right, the things that you thought, I mean, I mean, it's just crazy. God, well, how does that happen? God transforms our mind by the word. He washes our hearts by the word, and he, we begin to think different. We begin to act different. We have different priorities. Come on, anybody different today? Amen. You say, well, all right, we get you, pastor. You know, you're, you're driving this one home. You're belaboring the point. We're thinking about tea bags now. But <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to say? I'm saying the word changes our hearts. It washes our hearts. And it makes our hearts pure because it purifies our motives. Now, you know, many people ask me, new Christians, we had over six people receive the Lord in first service today, ask Jesus to be the Lord of their lives. You say, 
A new Christian, what part of the Bible renews the mind? Well, is it the Gospels? Should you read the Gospels? How about the epistles? How about the Pauline epistles? You know, what Paul wrote. Uh, how about the book of Revelation? Uh, how about Genesis or Acts or Psalms? And the answer is yes. Yes, all of those will renew the mind. All of those will purify the heart. The Gospels, the Epistles, the Book of Revelation, Genesis, Acts, Psalms. The answer is yes. And according to two, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, I'm going to tell you why they do that. Now, 2 Timothy 3.16 is an important text. You remember John 3.16? That's kind of a famous verse. 2 Timothy 2.16. You should commit this to memory. I'm going to start in verse 14. Listen to this. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, Paul speaking to Timothy here in verse 16, he tells this young pastor this, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. Let me say it again. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. All scripture, everything from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. This is not a history book. This is not a book of, you know, suggestions and nice stories and spiritual themes. This is the living, breathing word of God and it will change your heart if you drown yourself in it that being said what I tell new Christians is the best combination to start off with that I've found is a combination of the gospels and the book of proverbs see the gospels have red letters in them and those are the words of Jesus and the words of Jesus are the most powerful words ever spoken. If you pour through the Gospels consistently, daily, and you listen to the words of Jesus and get them in your heart, it will change your heart. It'll change the way you think. The book of Proverbs, there's one, 31, there's one proverb for every day. Those Proverbs will change your heart and your, your mind and your thinking faster than almost anything I know. They are the thoughts of God. They contradict the ways of man, but they will renew the mind of man man if we will pour them into us. All scripture is inspired by God. The word of God will purify our hearts. A willingness to carry our cross will purify our hearts. A genuine salvation experience will give us a brand new heart that's been purified by the blood of the lamb. The reward for all of this of us bowing the knee to Christ and experiencing salvation for carrying our cross daily and for consistently feasting on the word of God is this. We get to see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. What a blessing it is. Yes. You say, Pastor, oh, well, that's good, you know, and I, I'm thankful for this message. And someday when I die, I'm going to see God. I want to encourage you, don't wait until then. Because if you and I will allow the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts, we're going to see God everywhere and in everything. Come on. You can see God in nature. You can see God in the trees, in the mountains, in the streams. You can see God in a baby's smile, in a child's laugh. You can see God in people everywhere because he's there. 
So as we allow the Holy Spirit to purify our hearts, our vision gets better and we see him more clearly and we see him everywhere. And what a blessing that is. Because people who don't see God have no hope. And people who don't see God only see despair in the world. And there's too many people out there within our reach that don't know Jesus. And we need hearts that are pure enough to have a passion to go after them and to bring them in to relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads this morning. The first point I talked about was a genuine salvation experience. I, I want to give you an opportunity to experience that. Many in first service took that plunge and they, they jumped in and they immersed themselves and said, you know what, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I don't know anyone else who died for my sin and rose from the grave and says that whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know anybody who offers that but Jesus. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. He made it so simple. All we have to do is come and receive the free gift of salvation by just a decision of our will and saying, you know what? I recognize, Jesus, who you are, and I come to you and ask you to be my Savior, to help me uh, come to you in repentance. Oh, repentance is a gift today. If the Holy Spirit would grant us the, the desire of our heart, if he would soften our hearts enough to just repent and say, I want to turn from my sin and I want to turn to Jesus. If you'll do that today, he'll make you a new creation, a new creature. He'll give you a clean slate and a brand new heart and a new beginning today. If you want that, if you want to say yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you just to lift up your hand today and say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life and I want a clean slate and a fresh start. If there's anyone here who needs to do that, just raise your hand. How many people would say that, you know what, that's for me today. I don't have my glasses on. If you see anything in the back row, it's, it's kind of far from me. Praise God, praise God. Father, I just thank you this morning that we have an opportunity to turn from what we're stuck in and be free today. I pray that every heart of my brothers and sisters out here today is, is right with you and that we have made that decision to serve Jesus and to experience salvation. Father, I pray that you would purify our hearts, that we would be willing to carry our crosses, that we would turn off the TV and turn off the computer and turn off the phone and turn our hearts towards the word of God and immerse ourselves in, in just extended periods of time so you could transform the way we think the way we feel, that our actions would change. And as our hearts were purified, we would see more of you in everyday life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're going to take an offering this morning. It's free will. Do it out of relationship. Um, whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to sow, sow it into good ground into the kingdom.